Our fourth Sundays are devoted to our theme for the year. Our theme for the year is hand-in-hand with the healer. And today we want to talk about something that is not mentioned just one time, but several times throughout the Bible. In fact, the first time it's mentioned is in regard to Abraham. And God tells Abram, do not fear, I shall be with you. It's repeated multiple times. For example, with, with Joshua, it's repeated again. Be of, do not fear, be of great courage. It's said again to the disciples. In Matthew's translation of the Sermon on the Mount, do not fear, lo, I'll be with you. And throughout the larger part of the text, you have this encouragement relative to fear. And I know we've talked about fear a lot in the last several years. I hope you'd like to approach it from a little different point of view than maybe what we've considered before. But in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8 is where I want to read this. Revelation 21 and verse 8. But the cowardly, and some put the word fearful there, the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. If the word cowardly and fearful are synonymous terms there, look at the company of people, the company of characters that are associated with the cowardly or the fearful. I think all of us could say none of us want to be a part of that number at all. You think about the aspect of it. Many people operate and made the decisions on the basis of that. You remember the story in Gideon? Remember the story of Gideon, chapter th- uh, I think it's chapter 3, uh, chapter 7 and verse 3, where you have, have the Gideon uh, threshing out the people who are going to go fight? Remember how many turned away? And remember the re- reason they turned away? There were 22,000 that turned away. It says, because of fear. The one man with one talent failed to enhance the gift that God gave him because of fear. Fear paralyzed these individuals from being able to act and follow through and commit their responsibility. There's an old saying in the military that talks about duty, honor, and country. We talk about duty, honor, and responsibility. And fear kept them from fulfilling their duty, their honor, and their responsibility. And so when we think about this, it's very real. It's something that's very real that we all are challenged with at some time in our lives, at some point in our lives, and in some circumstance in our life that we all face this, this kind of thing. And the question is, how, how are we going to make it through, through those times? And so I'd like to talk to you just a moment about this. And the first thing I'd like to share with you is some fears are real and some are imaginary. We just have to acknowledge that. For example, turn back in Revelation chapter 7 real quickly. Revelation chapter 7. And look at verse 14. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 14. And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to him, These are the ones who came out of tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. If you look back one chapter, chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I think that's real, wouldn't you? Here you have these stories in the book of Revelation where these people are facing persecution. Some are facing persecution and have lost their lives. In chapter 2, he'll talk about my, my martyr Antipas. And so there are those who, because of the persecution, have lost their lives. Peter will talk about in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Think it not strange that you have these fiery trials. 
fiery trials are going to come. Think it not strange. In verse 16 of that same chapter, he will talk about, if any man suffers as a Christian, let him glorify God. So Peter tells us, Peter tells us there are going to come times that we're going to face that will have hardships. Adversities will confront us. Sometimes even persecutions will confront us. And then we have those that are imaginary. You know, imaginary is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? It's really in the eye of the beholder. For example, if, if, if you're laying there at night and you've got something boiling in your mind, just turning over and over and over, real or imaginary, what happens to it? Does it not just kind of grow and take on a life by itself? How many of us as parents, how many of us as parents have had children call for us in the night and talk to them because they tell us that they are afraid? And so we quiet their fears. And as we exit the door, we hear this one voice that still says, I'm still afraid. Now, there may not be a boogeyman in the closet. There may not be a boogeyman outside. But to that young child, that boogeyman is real in that moment, though it is imaginary. And so sometimes those imaginary things take on a life of their own, don't they? But we have real fears, things that are legitimately so. And then we have those things that sometimes we kind of build up in our own minds that also produce their own kind of fears. And so we see that in our lives. The second thing I'd like to think about is, is we need to find a priority for them. We need to understand they have a place in our lives and the priority for them. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10 real quickly. Matthew chapter 10. I want to look at this. In Matthew chapter 10, look at what he says in verse 28. And notice the priority here. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Now is he telling us there not to be fearful of people who can kill the body? No, he's not telling us to spit in Superman's face uh, and, and tug on his cape. He's not telling us any of that. He's not saying, okay, don't be fearful of that. If there's a bully, if there's a mean guy, if somebody's persecuting you, he's not saying don't be fearful of that. But greater than that, the greater priority is all man can do, as significant as it is, is kill the body. Man can't kill the soul. But God can destroy both body and soul in hell. And so what he says is, fear God. Keep it in proper perspective. Don't let the fear of men who can only kill the body, significant, yes. Great loss, yes. But greater loss is the one who can kill both body and soul, and not just destroy body and soul. But notice what he says. In hell. Alas, this body is a tabernacle, it's a tent. It houses the spirit that God created in us that's made in his image. This body was never intended to be, be eternal. This body has a lifespan. Even for Methuselah, it had a lifespan. Long though it may have been, it finally had a lifespan for him. But it is a spirit that lives on. Who controls the spirit, the destination of the spirit? We need to remember, there's someone greater that needs our respect and our fear, our, our allegiance, our consideration. If you're driving down a road, and a bee, a bee comes in your window, and you have the windows down, it's a nice cool day, you're driving down, have the windows down, and a bee comes in the car, 
and you're driving down this road about 70 miles an hour and you get consumed with fighting that bee and you're trying to get that bee out of the, out of the car and you forget about the car going 70 miles an hour. Question. At that point, which is really more important to pay attention to? Is it really more important to pay attention to the path of the car going 70 miles an hour? Or is it more important to pay attention to the bee that's buzzing around? Who may or may not bother you. You see the priority that we have here? There's a place for it. And we recognize that even in our everyday lives by that simple illustration. So we acknowledge that they're real. And we acknowledge that there's a priority for fear as well. But then third... I think it's also important to recognize there's a good kind of fear. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And look at the latter part of Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verses 28 and 29. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. The Hebrew writer, I think, puts two things together there. Start with the last. He says, our God is a consuming fire. This is not just an observation. For example, in the book of Deuteronomy, if you take the book of Deuteronomy, you mark the word fear throughout the book of Deuteronomy. What you'll find is that word fear in the book of Deuteronomy is used to be just that. It is a fear that has trepidation. It is a fear that leaves you trembling. But the thing that it moves to is this. That fear that has trepidation, that has great fear attached to it, moves to fear. And the fear that trepidation moves to is it moves to a reverence. It moves to a respect, which also then moves to an obedience. Now look at what he's saying here. First of all, he says, our God is a consuming fire. Doesn't that make us shake just a little bit? Doesn't that put the fear of God in us, as we would say? Doesn't that leave us trembling just a little bit? Our God's a consuming fire. We don't want to face that. But then before that, he says, let us have grace by which we may serve God with reverence and godly fear. So you have the trepidation, the fear, the trembling that is there that produces then this reverence and this godly fear. And so you have the word godly qualifying that word. That's not God-like. That is a reverence, a respect, an honoring, a devotion for God. And so there's this reverence for God that drives us, but that reverence for God grows out of this. We know our God is a consuming fire. There is a just side to God. We hear all the time in, the, in religious circles, and there's justification for it. But in many times, it's a caricature. God is a God of love. God is a God of love. And that's absolutely true. God is a God of love. But everywhere you find that also, like for example in Romans chapter 11, Romans chapter 2, he says, behold the goodness, remember the last part, and severity of God. There's a severity of God that is worth being fearful of and having a reverence for. The Apostle Paul faced that. Turn to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. You may remember in Acts chapter 18, the Lord has sent the Apostle Paul to Corinth. And you'll remember the conditions in the city of Corinth. How really harsh and terrible they were from an immoral point of view. 
it would not be an understatement to say that, that Corinth was, was an immoral cesspool. It would not be an or, out of order to say it was kind of the capital of immorality and immoral cesspools. But Paul goes to Corinth and he says in verse 8 of chapter 18 of the book of Acts, Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul by night in a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. What was Paul's concern? Paul was afraid going into the city of Corinth. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 3, he said, I was with you with fearful, trembling, and weakness. He acknowledges that. I came among you with fearful, trembling, and weakness. And here God speaking to him and says, go into that city. I have many people there. Don't be afraid. And then you have that expression, lo, I'll be with you. I will be with you. I'm not going to leave you alone. How that must have bolstered him. How that must have encouraged the Apostle Paul. Now, we don't have a statement like that before us. But when we talk to people about their souls, when we talk to our brothers and sisters about their souls, and we're concerned with how they'll respond to us, maybe we need to remember the words of God to Paul. Do not be afraid, I will be with you. Do not be afraid, I will be with you. We have a responsibility as being a brother's keeper and a brother's friend toward one another. And we have a responsibility toward humanity. But in that, remember the words that God told Paul when he goes into a place like Corinth and says, do not be afraid. Another set of passages that I'm reminded of in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9 and verses 20 and 22, you remember the story of John chapter 9 is about the man born blind. And you remember the quandary concerning that young man because now he's able to see. The disciples are concerned about it in the beginning. Did this man sin or did someone else? Did he sin his mother's womb or was his mother's fault? And so they're concerned with this man's sin and blindness being coupled together. And Christ, first of all, decouples that and says, no, that's not right. But then he goes about and all the rulers, all those who are in positions of power, will know how was this man able to be a man who had his blindness healed and can now see. And the questions go around in a circle, don't they? They're kind of like a dog chasing his tail around in a circle. And finally, it comes to the parents. And this is the part that amazes me about this story. It comes to the parents in John chapter 9 and verse 20. And they said, look, he's of age. Ask him. And then verse 22 says... They were fearful because the Jews said anyone who mentioned Christ or believed in him would be put out of the synagogue. Now, the amazing thing about that to me is the greater fear of the parent for the rulers of the synagogue than to rejoice over a blind son being made to see. Can you put yourself in that position and here you have a child that's blind and now they're made to see? 
But here was a fear that kept them from doing this. Here was a fear that paralyzed them. That's not the right kind of fear to have. And so when we look at this, we have to acknowledge there is a reverence for God that is there. But there's also that bad kind of fear associated with doubts as well. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, begin reading with me in verse 22. You're familiar with this story, I know. But I think there's something significant that happens here. Jesus immediately made his disciples go into the boat and go before him to the other side when he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening had come, he was alone with them. He was alone there. But the boat now was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, Is it a ghost? And they cried out for fear. Now pause. They're already on rough water. The waves are already tossing them about. And whatever size of boat that was, there had to be an intimidation about that. But now then, you see this figure coming and walking. And you've never seen anybody walk on water before. And the last person they're expecting to see come to them walking on water is Jesus. And so therefore, given the boisterousness of the waves, the wickedness of the waves, and then this figure appears... They're already spooked because of the waves. They're already moved because of that. And here comes this figure. They've never seen anybody walking on water before. Their response is, is it a ghost? It's easy to sit in calm pews and point fingers at these guys to say what knuckleheads they were. They need to open their eyes. Now, I will acknowledge there are some occasions in their lives that they were absolute knuckleheads. I'm not sure this is one of them. However, it does show a weakness on their part. And so he says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. The calming effect that must have had on them. I mean, again, you talk about the parent sitting in the room with the child, the calming effect that is. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on water. And he said, To come. Everything's great. Peter steps out of the boat and comes, and when Peter came down out of the boat, he walked on water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. Question. Did he see the wind? Can you see the wind? What did he see? He saw the effects of the wind. What were the effects of the wind? The same rough seas that were there before. He steps out to walk and then the rough seas. He sees the wind. He sees the effect of the, sea, of, the, of the wind blowing the seas about. He sees the effect of them and he begins to sink and was afraid and cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Here the Lord just coupled 
The idea in verse 27 of being afraid with the idea of doubt in verse 31. Why did you doubt and therefore become afraid? So, there is a kind of fear that is associated with doubts that produces a kind of anxiety. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 4. A repeat, verse 4 of Matthew 10, 28. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after they have no more they can do. But I will show you to whom you should fear. Fear him, who that, fear him who after he has killed has power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And have not five sparrows been sold for two coppers a coin? And not one of them is forgotten before the Lord. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. Therefore, you are of more value than the sparrows. Why does he tell them not to fear? Because God ultimately cares. Look in verse 22, same passage. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have strong house nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a stature? If you're not able to do that, at least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his raid, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxiety or anxious mind. Old King James says, take no thought. Yeah, take no thought is the word for be not anxious. Give no thought beforehand. Do not be anxious about it. Do you see the coupling of these two passages together? The coupling of these two passages together assure us. Assure us that God is there to care for us. Yet, these are all life under the sun issues. These are not life under the S-O-N. They're life under the S-U-N issues. And he says these life under the S-U-N issues are the things that are distracting, are the things that are grabbing our attention, are the things that are pulling us away. Here is a kind of anxiety. Sometimes we associate anxiety with the word eager. Like we anticipate something, like I can't wait. I'm eagerly awaiting this Wednesday to, to listen to another under-review I can't wait to hear the under-review podcast by Joseph and Nicholas. I'm excited to hear that. That's not this. This is the kind of anxiety, the kind of, the kind of doubt, the kind of fear that paralyzes one, that keeps one from taking a step forward and doing what God has asked us to do and having that commitment to Him. And so, it's the kind of fear like John chapter 12, which is harmonious, which is parallel to John chapter 9. They believed Jesus, but again, because they feared being put out of the synagogue, they did not confess him. They did not confess him. How many times today have we seen people 
on the cusp of obeying the gospel of Christ. They know. There's no doubt that they know. They understand those doubts. No doubt they understand. We stand and we sing the song and the white knuckles come. The white knuckles come because they grab on the back of the pew so tight. The white knuckles come. All the blood flows out of their pews. And they don't come because of fear. How many have not come because that's a very real issue? That if they come, they'll be put out of the family. Or they'll be disinherited. And like the people in John chapter 12, they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And how many times with each one of us today do we find ourselves in given circumstances which a greater love for men over God becomes a decision by which we move forward? I think it's very real for us. You see, there must be a perspective that's kept in mind. And we must have an overall, overall understanding, an overall heart commitment to the fact that God cares for us and God loves us and that God will not leave us alone. Don't, don't you wish it was something tangible? Don't you wish that, that God was in the flesh and he'd sit down on a pew beside you and put his arm around you and pull you close to him and say, I'm right here by you. But this is a faith thing. This is a faith thing. This takes eyes of faith to see that. That's why you have Luke 12 and what he's saying there. It takes eyes of faith to see that. It takes eyes of faith to see what the Lord is telling us. Be not afraid. As I close, I want to share these three final things with you. First of all, fear tempers, tempers fear. Fear tempers fear. Here's a young man that faces a bully. And for the scorn of his girl... He faces the bully knowing all the while he will be beat. There was a greater priority for him. And the greater priority was the approval of the girl over the beating of the bully. That's Matthew 10, 28. That's Luke 12, 4 and 5. Fear tempers fear. A greater fear for God tempers fear. Then, the second thing is faith. Faith tempers fear. Faith helps us see between every stormy wave, there's a creator that rules. Faith helps us see that behind every death, there's a resurrection. And faith helps us see that beyond everything that we confront, there is an invisible God. Do you remember that invisible God in Hebrews chapter 11? Moses' parents did not fear the king because they had greater respect for the king that was invisible. And the third thing is, love tempers fear. You see, fear is that strong emotional response. Love is that reasoned, thought-out response. And that's what John's talking about in 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. That's the perfect love that casts out fear. That perfect love casts out fear so that, love tempers fear so that if there were no hell, we would still serve God because of our love for Him. Love tempers that. 
That kind of love casts out fear, fear of judgment, and fear of punishment. You see, we have every reason to be strong. The healer, the healer has taken us in his hands, and he's carrying us all along the way. He says, I know there's some things that are real, and I know there's some things that are imagined. I know there's a proper place for it. I know there's a priority here that, that you need to respect in things, but you need to understand who, who's greater in this. And I understand there's a good kind of fear, but there's also that kind of fear that plagues most of us, and that's the kind of fear that, that is anxious and causes anxiety and produces doubt because when we step out by faith, we begin to see the wind. But he says, listen, I care for the sparrow. I care for the lilies of the field. And I know your name. I know you. I know who you are. Step out. Step out in faith. You know, it's very possible regarding life under the sun that there can be a nuclear accident or there can be a rogue nation or rogue group that launches a nuclear weapon. They exist. There are rogue people that have their finger on the button. They exist. Who would have ever thought? Who would have ever thought before 9-11, 9-11 would take place? Who would have ever thought that? Who would have ever thought their husband would have congestive heart failure or their wife would have cancer? Who would have ever thought that? Who ever thought their wife would have a stroke that'd be disabling? Who thought that? Who had thought they would have lost a son? Who ever thought that? That wasn't in your plans, was it? That wasn't in your plans? Not at all. But there's something greater than all that. And I'm not minimizing any of that. You understand that. There's a priority here. And even for all that can happen to us in life under the sun, it's nothing compared, nothing compared to the God who cares for us, but the God who also warns us. As I close, I'm reminded of the story in the class of little children. The teacher's going along, talking about creation, sun, moon, stars, all things that are grand about creation, and one little boy raises his hand and said, if all that's so grand, then why did God create poison ivy? The teacher was stumped, didn't know what to say. One of the little boys raised his hand and said, it's because God wanted you to know there are some things you need to keep your hands off of. <laughs> and listen, there are just some things we need to keep our hands off of. The healer heals. And the healer gives strength. If there's something we can do this morning that we can help you and help the healer help you, then won't you come while we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. 
come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.